Analyze Asia is brought to you by Esavel. Do you manage your own IT for distributed teams across Asia Pacific? Then you know how painful that can be. Esavel helps your in-house team by taking cumbersome tasks off their hands and giving them the tools to manage IT effectively. Get help across Asia Pacific from onboarding, procuring devices to real-time IT support and offboarding. With our state-of-the-art platform, gain full control of all your IT infrastructure in one place. Our team of IT support pros are keen to help you grow. Check out esevel.com and get a demo today. Use our referral code ASIA for 10% off. Terms and conditions apply. I'm actually not a believer of the Web2 turning Web3 thing. Mm. So these days, a lot of companies basically turning a non-profitable Web2 companies and adding a token elements into that and turning into a Web3 companies and think issuing a token can flip the whole picture differently. I'm not a believer of that. The reason is that the user coming on board with a different purpose. These people from the Web2 they don't care about whether they have token, they don't care about whether they're owning the assets. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business technology and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leung, and we all agree that the crypto market is on a downturn, but it's also a great time to build and invest at the same time. With me today, Jessica Liu, partner at AppWorks Ventures, and we're going to dive deep into how AppWorks are investing into the Web3 space. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes, and we recently met in Singapore and have a cup of coffee and discuss a lot about some of the deals that we're all working on. But I think this is your first time on the show and we really want to get your origin story first. How do you start your career? I started my career as actually not in the, the sort of startup industry. I actually joined the corporate, uh, it was called Standard Charter Bank. So I was studying in the States and when I graduated, it was basically during the financial crisis. So instead of staying in the States, I decided to move back to Taiwan and, and join the, the big corporate uh, with a big consumer banking system. Mm. And then from that consumer banking, how do you ended up a career into venture capital? Hmm. I think, oh yeah, that's an interesting journey. So back then, well, these days it probably sounds very easy things or people are already familiar with. But back then we are putting a lot of efforts on studying online banking, digital banking stuff. And it really opened my eyes at the whole internet industry difference from the traditional in the industry. And I think the most amazing part is that the data you can collect from the whole internet journey is a lot of better than the traditional financial data you can collect. I think that sort of inspired me and I pivoted myself from financial bankers to more start toward facing role. <laughs> and you joined AppWorks originally just to look at fintech you know type of companies i guess crypto at that point in time was still at its infancy and i think probably during the period as well we all look at bitcoin and then maybe somewhere around 2016-17 ethereum how do you make that pivot from fintech into the current web3 space then first i was having accelerator so basically 
I saw the first the first hands of the old accelerator stars back then. And they're not only fintech, but all kind of you know digital service, digital economy of solutions back then. I got my first sort of partial Bitcoin back into 2015 from from my other partner, Coach Joseph. And we were in sort of a, a seminar which they're discussing about Bitcoin and this kind of thing. I was saying, what? Bitcoin? Why is that not? So I just downloaded an app and it just transferred me uh, a partial of Bitcoin back then. That's mm. how the journey gets started. So I think the environment uh, of a Star Wars, basically you can in touch with the most pioneer technology and also uh, most pioneer people around the industry. So we started looking to a different service, a different solution in around the industry. And that's how, how the things get started. And I think given your journey, right, you came from Standard Chartered Bank, which is actually pretty well-known in Singapore because it's owned yeah. by Tomasic, which is a pretty well-known sovereign wealth fund in the world. One thing I want to ask you, what are the interesting career lessons you can share with my audience about your journey? Well, I believe some of the listeners are probably still relatively young generations. So I would invite people to actually, you know, just like a star of trial and error during your career path. So it's never a sort of a waste, even as a job or the task you're taking on is something you're not passionate about, but you were definitely taking something out of front of it. So trial and error, I think that's the way to basically to self-explore your true love it is. <laughs> mm, that's an interesting lesson to be shared too. Which comes to my main subject of the day, right? Which is about AppWorks Ventures and investing in the Web3 ecosystem. To start, as I've interviewed Jamie earlier this year on AppWorks and the overall investment thesis of the firm and where it's going, I just would like you to, can you share a quick introduction to AppWorks for my audience? So I think the core of AppWorks is basically surrounded by founders, especially star founders. And I usually use the analogy that saying AppWorks Accelerator, the service is basically mostly like an EMBM for, for founders. So, you know, the, the only difference probably is it's a free program. So, you know, in EMBA, you're facing a lot of people from different industry, but they're trying to get more, expand their network around the business world to get more insights from there. I think this is the same thing in AppWorks Accelerator. We're, we're trying to gather different founders around different industry and they're trying to use technology or internet service to make things better and solve certain problems. And technology or internet is just one of the techniques they're, they're using, but there's definitely some shared common interest that they're having in the community. So that's a core. And beyond that, it's expanding to a different service that serve founders. So we figured that a lot of talent gap in between school and university versus the industry. So that's why we have our school, which basically cultivate the young generation and to help a non-CS uh, background graduates turn it into a, a junior software engineer. And beyond that, we also have an AppWorks fund. So basically it's a fund that, a venture fund that's helped some of founders to, to grow faster and bigger. Mm. And I think today we are going to be really diving deep into Web3. I know Jamie kind of gave a little bit glimpse of where AppWorks is thinking about the Web3 space and the investments in that segment. 
I want to start off by maybe just tap into your brain and I, we have discussed a little bit earlier on this. Can you define the market opportunity in Web3 or what we today call crypto blockchain, which I'm going to use it very interchangeably as for all the experts out there, please do not be angry about that. And also the key segments that actually interest you most in the Web3 space. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably heard about the analogy that Web3, uh, uh, from Chris Dixon, that Web3 is, the, the most different part is that you can owning the stuff, whatever stuff you have. And I think I can elaborate a little bit on what is that owning means. These days, a lot of data or a lot of sort of journey you have on the internet is mostly owned by the big corporate like Facebook, like Google or Apple. And Although you are the person who actually did these activities, you are actually not owning these data. And the difference from Web3 is that why is that important that you are owning this data? Whether you can use that data to do anything is one thing, whether you own it is another thing. For example, you can think about if a day that your account has been hacked or stolen, and if, if it's a face, Facebook account, and we presume there's money in there, probably definitely need to go through the Facebook company to see where the account flow goes and where does that, what, why did that happen? But these days in crypto, basically there's a whole journey that you can track the whole hacking or stolen things. Whether you can protect that is, an, uh, is one thing, but whether you are able to track on your, on your willingness, I think that's another thing. So I think the most important thing is not about you're your not only owning that, but it's also a transparent, which you can track. So I think that's the main difference we're seeing in the Web3 versus Web2 world. The most interesting segment, so I think most of us will all agree that is this adoption from the mass public is still early. So we are more interested in the service that can adopt next billion users into, the, into crypto or Web3 world. <laughs> Mm. I, I think when you talk about real digital ownership, it's also a concept that Yasu from Animoca Brands, who was on the show, also talked about in terms of owning that particular digital asset you have. And, and of course, you always hear the maxis, depending on which blockchain you want, they always say, not your keys, not your crypto, you know? <laughs> yeah, you need to have a wallet on that. I want to sort of zoom in, and this is a question that I always ask every VC who comes on my show, what is does a typical day look like for you as a VC looking into Web3 deals? I would say my, my day is probably quite similar, but the difference is that we have accelerator. So I would basically separate uh, that into two different categories. So I will more internal facing things. So internal is facing like accelerator stars. We will have LPSR, we will have different discussion around different topics. And also internal facing thing, like I will have discussion with my colleagues about the deals, about the strategy, and also different partnership. And outside first facing things, it's more like meeting the different partners, meeting different potential deal flow, and also meeting different industry players. So last mostly basing my days like. <laughs> and and it, it would be much more interesting for you in Web three, right? You also have to deal with wallets and. 
everything yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a whole different thing. You know, in the past, we were basically just deal, dealing with banks. And it has like definitely a, a very holistic sort of procedure you just need to follow through. But these days, it's not like that. So you have to explore like different opportunities. And also, probably some of the loophole that might, the service provider might have. <laughs> Yeah, I could think about those days when I started angel investing and then trying to wire that 10K into the startup <laughs> with my MetaMask wallet and then wondering, hmm, did the cash get there? <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's interesting, right? The, the, the deal sourcing is different. The way we even have to work on deal flows is also different. I think like very similar to all the investments that we look at, what are the key traits you index in a founder or a startup team that you're likely to invest into? I'm not sure if people heard about Jamie's episode before. I'm not sure yeah. whether he mentioned that there's a three edge. We are evaluating the deals. I see that also still apply to the Web3 deals as well. So the three edge stands for heads, hand, and heart. So heads means how are you able to adjust your strategy with the markets? Can't means your ability to execute on ideas you want to. And part is basically the motivation, the drivers behind why you're doing a start. For me, I will personally think heart is probably the most important. I think the driver behind a person is always uh, the difference from whether you can be a good founder or a great founder. Mm. And if I reverse the question and then say, what would be the red flags? you are looking for then? I think it's an integrity and whether the people is genuine enough or not. Because I think some of the teams these days in Web3 is probably not seeing investors as a long-term partner because some of the investors are more like a rug and pull. But I usually see the startups we work or invest with, no matter it's a token or equity side, we usually see it's a long-term partner. So basically it's just like looking for a husband or wife in your marriage. So it's a long-term commitment. And if you cannot be transparent and genuine enough in the first place, it's hardly to believe we have to work with these kind of other view in the long run. So my personally would see that as a, a rough bad. Mm. Just just curious question. Are we going to start doing security audits? I mean, there's a lot of cross-trade <laughs> which hacks these days, right? I mean, think, think about it from the integrity point of view. And of course, the contagions have swiped out the the ones that are that have no ethics and etc. I think this is so part of the that makes this space very very difficult to grasp. Sometimes. Yeah, so that's probably the DID will be more and more and more important. <laughs> <laughs> agree, agree. I'm just going to put this question in a in a more thoughtful way. What are the interesting Web three companies that you have invested? in the space currently. And of course, I know there's no favorites, but I just want to get a sense of like, what companies are they and what do they do that makes you interested in them? I think I can bring two examples. One, we made the investment a couple of months ago. It's called Origami. And they're coming out from the Orange Dow, which is a YC Dow in the States. I think they have a a quite deep insight into sort of a Dow operation itself. These days, a lot of, no matter you're gaming or, you know, a DeFi companies, a lot of them have a doubt, but it's a relatively new concept. I don't think, I think the background of the, uh, of the star is because they had that uh, operate orange down and the figure is really, really hard for a, a team to start from scratch 
and you know build up the whole DAO operations and also engage, especially there's an engagement with the uh, different parties. So uh, I think the approach is basically to build up a certain sort of SOP for a different kinds of uh, the DAO, no matter your investor uh, investment DAO or your um, a solution DAO or your different kinds of DAO. So you will apply to different kind of uh, SOP and it will quite hand-holding you to onboarding the first few important uh, steps to make this DAO gonna success in the long run. And I think that's something very important because some of the DAO tools only serving for payroll, only serving for treasury management. But we all know it's not only a certain function that now DAO needed. It's more like a collaboration, also more about a consensus and also the management as well. So I think a handholding of that is actually quite important. The other star we invested recently is called Tea House. And I think that's an interesting star as well. So they're actually from Taiwan. And they have helped build up a different, very well-known NFT project in the region in the past few, well, in the past few 12 to 18 months. And however, their main core is actually the asset management tool because while they're helping a lot of NFT teams to build up their, their, their NFT projects, they figure a lot of them are actually artist background, photographer backgrounds. They are Web3 enthusiasts but they are not good at management the treasury. How, so they're basically helping them build up like, uh, the technology side of the NFT and also help the team to manage a certain portion of the ease they're, they're getting out of the offer of T-drops. I think that's important because from the lesson we had in 2017 and 2018 ICO, um, during the ICO boom, we actually saw a lot of uh, starts at getting a lot of different uh, tokens or or, or ease on, on hints, but because they didn't manage that well, so that turns out after the bear market comes, the, the, the star just can cannot hold it uh, any longer. So I think it's actually important to make sure the cherry has well managed in a certain way. So mm. I think that's an interesting approach. Mm. Interesting you mentioned Origami and Tea House and how they have started with a certain concept and then eventually ending up building tools. I kind of term it Web3 SaaS and I also have invested mm. in the space as well. And I'm also noticing some of the companies within my portfolio now are thinking the same thing where they started to get requests from the same type of companies that they are in the same category on certain things. They now ended up building tools for mm. <laughs> for, for these those people. companies, yes. So it is kind, of, but it is also part and parcel of it, right? Because it, it seems that the shovels for the people to dig, digging, mm. like in go in San Francisco in the eighteen hundreds, is kind of seems to be applicable in the same space as well. I think if we take it and just take from the web process, and then we just open it up a little bit further, what are the more exciting trends that you are seeing in the web tree space i mean there's DeFi, there is game now there's social five and <laughs> nfts as well which areas are sort of making you most excited or maybe something i haven't seen yet or you and i haven't seen it 
I actually not a huge belief on the the five itself. No matter it's a trade five and or or whatever five or you know D five or or game five. I think the five itself is limited the the audience you can have. That means it's a strong. Elements for the token or NFT itself. That's trading is important elements. So that means generating revenue or generating gains. All of it is a kind of important portion uh, within the white paper itself. I actually think going forward, these will be downsizing a bit about or or less emphasize on the buy itself, but more emphasize on the exact use of of the token or NFT itself. So I would believe on the entertaining side or the gaming side, because I think the only thing people need to know is something recorded on chain, but it necessarily need to be traded. So I think it's a different from a Web3, Web2 and Web3 game is that uh, NFT you hold is really only by you. But it doesn't mean that you need to trade it. So for example, if you're playing a game in the past, you're not playing a game because it's tradable. You're not playing a game because it's it's fun. It's you're, you're enjoying that instead of you're getting getting money out of it. So I would think still the mass adoption of the web three will still comes around from entertainment and the gaming side. I actually have a little bit different opinion on this. I think that one of the key features of web three is that once you decide that you want to launch a token. Mm-hmm. or have a specific asset, you inevitably create a capital market that's embedded under whichever protocol you want to do. And I think that's where the FI comes from, right? right. In, in, terms of the, in terms of the how people perceive the market. But I think the trading part of it is actually, to me, is, is like Web2 companies waiting for a hell long time to decide to go public and then get subjected to the public investors. And in Web3, it's the other way around. You start going token and it, you get your you get your public markets totally hammer you on the trading mm-hmm. market every day. So it, it's just a varying degrees of that. I don't know whether is 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 that something you think about from time to time. I think it's definitely need a balance in between. I'm actually not a believer of the web two turning web three thing. Mm. So these days a lot of companies basically turning a non-profitable Web2 companies and adding a token elements into that and turning into a Web3 companies and think issuing a token can flip the whole picture differently. I'm not a believer of that. The reason is that the user coming on board with a different purpose. These people from the Web2, they don't care about whether they have token, they don't care about whether they're owning the assets. And if we're adding the token, making the tradable, I think the target audience is different. So whether they are tradable is one thing, but whether the the whole token holders believe in Web3, whether they actually know they're having these assets is another thing. Mm, which I wholeheartedly agree with you because <laughs> I have this debate even within in a couple of the networks I'm involved in, mm-hmm. whether it's angel networks where they have a very strong Web2 investment angle. And mm. once it goes into Web3, they try to play the Web2 argument. And I always try to tell them there's no network effects in Web3 because adding one node doesn't increase the network effect. And yeah. it takes them quite a long time to actually get to that. But there's another area that I thought would be very interesting to get a point of view from you. 
are we moving towards a multi-chain world with different specializations? Or maybe it's a world of just only that few dominant key blockchains that lead the way. I mean, fr- we, we know the Bitcoin is one. Mm. Ethereum is definitely the other one. And maybe yeah. nearby is Solana. And then you take your Avalanche, Near, mm. and everyone else on the list. But do you see what which part of the Web3 world do you think we are going in terms of the the chain, the different chains at the moment? I would actually go more like a multi-chain world. I think so. If you ask me the question like two years ago or two and a half years ago, I would probably not be certain, but in these days I would quite well, quite positive on that because we've seen Solana grow from nothing to nowadays a quite successful L1 chain. Even now, a lot of people are accusing Solana. There's no sort of innovation application on Solana. Uh, there's a lot of hacks and there's no... So basically, every developers are just copying application from Ethereum and just make a, the same one on Solana and do that again. But if you're seeing NFT sales on, on Solana these days, so back then, uh, DeFi was more popular. And after that, Solana figured out they have to create more applications on NFT-related things. So they're starting to cultivate these kind of applications from uh, different developers. And these days, you can pretty much see the market has been established. And sometimes it actually exceeds on the sales Ethereum as well. So that, that, that means even your latecomers, that means... As long as you have a resource, as long as you have developers, the marketing can, can still be established. Mm. And, the, and then that comes to my next question, right? How do you evaluate the opportunities in different chains, right? right? For example, I can think of a play-to-earn game and then I go into the market and then every chain has its own funding mechanisms. You know, I can decide maybe I should build on Solana, maybe another company with the same idea could develop on Ethereum or even Binance smart chain mm-hmm. as well, or even, you know, the, the other chains out there. I mean, Polygon, for example, is pretty popular with gaming. How right. do you evaluate the opportunities of companies operating in these different chains, which you could see four different companies from four different chains? <laughs> exactly. I think there's one element that's and it's easier to see during the bear market and which we like it more because the one thing is engagement and also retention. So we pretty much can agree in the past like 12 to 18 months when, when the market is good, people are spending a lot and you're getting user acquisitions and it's actually not too hard to get either money or users on board. But I think when the market is good, we put too much emphasis on that. So you get the user acquisition as, but after you acquire the users, there's less attention on the user retention and user engagement. And that's actually very crucial to an application or a service, whether it works in the long run or it's just working during the bull market. So these days, it's actually a very good time to observe whether you are able to have user engagement, whether your your user are real user or just embedded in metrics. I think that's something I want to tell the difference. Mm. And I think this what you're alluding to is that the bear market helps you to take out all the noise from yeah. the market and then yeah. just basically see who is left standing there and then cultivate those that are actually working. 
but maybe yep. they are all in different chains. And but would you say, as a VC, say this game is very successful, say in Ethereum? Would you ask the entrepreneur, you know, maybe you can think about let's try Avalanche and let's try maybe the new Aptos chain from those guys from Facebook who who's starting another L1 chain coming out, mm, mm. or even in the L2 Ethereum chain, like say an Optimism or or Arbitrum as well. I wouldn't suggest them they're doing sort of a hundred percent the same business model. So take Stepin for example, right? So people are seeing the success of Stepin in a certain time frame and starting to copy that into different chain or different exercise, you know, jumping ropes or or mm. different kind of exercise. But at the end of the day, Stepin is also facing the same problem, whether they are able to get more, more customer engaged and eventually there's a balance between the Stepin tokens and different two tokens around. So how to keep the engagement and retention sustained, that's one thing. So I think that's the same thing to even latecomers um, players. No matter which chain they're they are copying into, or no matter which kind of exercise they're they're replicated into, I think eventually they are facing the same problem. Which I don't think stab and solve them all. Which I think the data mistake will help come up with a different solution. Mm. And, and, and it's, it's actually interesting, right? Because now you can have the same thing like you know NFT file on Ethereum, DeFi on Solana. One interesting thing is how would the landscape play out in Web three? So in terms of business models, we've seen play to earn. We are mm-hmm. seeing customer acquisition strategies like memes, airdrops. Are we going to see more shifts in how these mechanisms are and will change in the next wave? Yeah, for example, memes or, or, or airdrops. I think that's a great take- tactics because, you know, in Web2, you know, you can do put a face by Facebook ad with techniques, you know, the people who love sports, who love exercise, you can place a different ads to them. I think that's pretty much the same thing in Web3 airdrops. So a lot of people airdrop NFT to some of the special NFT holders because you own these kind of ones or you probably own like, like these NFT as well. I think that's a great tactic. It's pretty much, pretty much like mimicking your TA shape out of it. But eventually, well, still, as I mentioned, eventually after you acquire this user, after you airdrop this user, you don't want it just be the people who hold your NFT or hold your tokens. That's definitely something you want these people to do after they have a token, no matter it's trade, no matter they're this generative art, you are coming out of from a different kind of a type of NFT or they were engaging in a community. That's something people should observe more and put more efforts on instead of, you know, tactic itself. Mm. I think in terms of protocol-wise, right, if you look at, say, how ENS did their airdrop mm. and maybe even like Optimism and Arbitrum because mm. they are now in the second wave and they learn a lot of lessons from the first wave from the DeFi summer in 2020, you find that these days they don't just want you to hold the token, have the right. wallet or do one transaction on the chain. They want you to do at least like four or five things on the chain to get very used to using the chain before they could even want to airdrop anything to you. Right. Yeah. yeah. So after the airdrop, and there's a few steps. The involvement is that there's more, few more steps you need to complete. You know, share on your Twitters and things like that. But I think that's you know still not good enough, right? People can 
can after doing that they got a token they're still doing nothing right they're, they're still not trading them <laughs> so eventually people are going to to polish that process and to see what's the best way to to get a, a good users mm. yeah and, and it comes to the other more interesting part about funding companies i have done definitely all three mm. given now we are in the down market this is also very interesting <laughs> as well how do you now think about funding companies is hmm. it equities, tokens, or mix of both? What on the street I hear from Web3 companies is that everybody don't want tokens anymore and they only want equity. But obviously, <laughs> I don't know your position, so I just want to get a sense. Where are you thinking about? Well, I think because it's a bear market now, so people are, are, uh, people are, are saying that equity uh, is definitely better than tokens. But I would say I was relatively neutral to that. I think mm. the most important thing is you're balancing out the interest between the different parties. From our past experience, the most dangerous things is that is there's imbalance between token holder versus the team versus mm. the equity holders. And last, it's not something you want to deal with in the long run. So the revenue definitely goes to either equity, either, or, or tokens. It's definitely going to somewhere and the revenue definitely goes to some, somewhere. So you, if you are having two different vehicles on the same time, you need to make sure that all the parties' interests are aligned. Otherwise, it's better to only choose one instead of manage two. Yeah, I find the mix of tokens and equities makes it very confusing and you need to put a token warrant on top of your safe agreement, <laughs> right? I mean... Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I, I get entrepreneurs asking me sometimes like, but which one should we take? And then we are like, well, what, what suits you, right? What, what suits the company moving forward? Because you take tokens, you get into governance issues. And, and this right. is where I think you, you have the origami. So I think this is pretty interesting because if you follow the news, you've seen what Hatsu and the people in Flashbots are doing to all the different governors from Lido, you know, Unisol, right. throwing all kinds of proposals to test the market. This is where tokens does have some complexity and which I think we haven't really seen before is does the DAO governance issues hmm. that we observed recently is going to make it difficult for investors to put money in because if you don't have a significant vote and 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 the community decided to go something that's totally against the interests of the investors and and, and this is not uncommon right hmm. Hmm. but it is also it also makes it very difficult once you lay down the law it's going to be very hard to change it yeah yeah. And this is where DAOs, I think people don't see the inflexibility within DAOs that, and they're just like, oh, let's just do tokens, let's just do. <laughs> yeah, I, totally, I totally agree with that. I think there's definitely a lot of complexity between tokens and equities or even just token itself. Because if for token holders, you probably can imagine it's not only teams, not only early users, your investors probably hold a, a, a big chunk of portion of your tokens. So, you know, it's hardly to say if, the government, uh, if there's a ne necessary vote on the government's issues and if the investors holding good enough of the portions for many investors will warrant proposal. But I think the whole DAO sort of the term or or how to operate is basically is a social experiment, I would say. So I think one of the very interesting DAO I'm seeing now is I'm observing now is I'm not sure whether you heard about non projects. 
So basically, people are, are getting a different noun or are purchasing a noun every day and putting it into a DAO. And to yeah. be honest, there's no specific items that how, how to place the chartery and how to use that. But so it's totally a social experiment. You're seeing how these people, if they get a food into this chartery pool and how does that going to evolve into? I think that's an interesting mm. thing people are, are are seeing these days. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. So I actually read a book on the history of constitutions, mm. um, which in human history, that means how the American constitution came about or the Haitian constitution, mm. etc. And the reason why I actually went and read a book on that was because I think what a lot of people think, yes, we come into this new thing, we create DAOs and then we create governance. We think that these are the minimum rules. Actually, the minimum rules is kind of a constitution right. and they're subject to amendments, right? And the, and the people do not appreciate that the nuances where you start to realize this rule that you originally have can be broken because people can abuse or, yeah, or run around it. And then you realize, oh, shucks, this rule may not be right now. Maybe we need to change. And then to force an amendment is extremely difficult because you need to take a lot of governance vote, which I think what Hasu managed to expose people in, in doing by throwing all these governance rules. I mean, even if the same thing, right? Coinbase, which is an investor to USDC, can suddenly go to the, using their governance token and say, hey, you know what? Not to circle, but actually to make it down and say, mm. you know what? I'll give you this amount of you for your part of the treasury and throw it as the governance proposal. <laughs> and everybody was like... You know, hijacking. It, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a hijacking mechanism, right? So it, it just it is that is that thing that evolving complexity to that's like what you said, a social experiments, right? Yeah. It's basically, I think it's it's basically just like the whole uh, democracy was formed in the past hundreds of years, right? Like any hacks, I think that definitely has has already happened before. It's, in the past, it's more like a country level, and now it's more like a project or company level. <laughs> mm. Okay, I, I don't want to put you in a spot. So given that now we're in this in the midst of what I call evolving bear market, depending on what is happening with the Fed and interest rates, if you were to write the memo to the crypto or Web3 startups on how to navigate through those tough times, because you've seen this a core memo, you see the white combinator web memo, how would you right. write your memo then? What is the app works web three memo that you are right? I think the bear markets these days it's really hard for the startups getting new users and new money these days. But I think the most different part during this bear market versus like three years ago is that there's actually a lot of users in the ecosystem, a lot of money in this ecosystem now. Mm. So Instead of seeing how we can acquire a new user and trying to put a lot of ads to put people on board without a hype, I think it's probably a good time to deep dive into the current user, what they are looking for. So these users, they are, if they are holding tokens, there's definitely something they want to do no matter they want to get a you know relatively stable interest or they just you know want to hold it or they want to fractional owning some of the NIT or something like that. So you can deep dive into the current users and to segment that into a different type of users they can be. People are saying during a bear market you should build and of course, you should build, but you should build on something, right? If you should build on people's needs, I think that's the most important thing. So face the reality that 
by the end of the day, you need user retention. You need user to engage with your service. So I think mm. this is a good time to deal with that. Mm. I was a crypto trader in the ICO boom then. And then what I realized is that by the time everything collapses, I think something like, I think Bitcoin was about 85 to 86% against drop against all time mm -hmm. high. And then Ethereum, I think it's 94%. And then still, when it comes back up, I think, as you said, the, the retaining users, people at tokens, then you see the likes of MetaMask, you see the likes of Uniswap, and then you see the likes of Aave Compound, and you see the NFTs. I think those things have come up. I think the good news for this time around, we all, I think badly, I think everything is now between, within 70 to 80%, depending right. on the price of the day. But there's still a minimum base of users that you are alluding to that you can still tap on to basically expand that current market. Yeah, totally. So you and I definitely own tokens also in these days, right? Mm. Even in the bear market and the people surrounded by us, it's also only NFT and tokens. We'll probably not trade as much as before, but we definitely want to put use of, put use of that tokens, right? So mm. I think that's important to see what other persons so receptive, not only receptive, and but also the long term plan of their tokens. So I think mm. that's something you can start to explore. Yeah, and also the L two chains as well. I've been spending a lot more time on the L two chains, just thinking about what to do. And I think they give me a better sense of where DeFi is going. It's actually getting more and more complex. It is. It's actually yeah, but. I think go, going forward, so we, we usually argue about that. It's uh, whether the people, for example, like five years from now, the new crypto user, do they really know which kind of L1 they're at? Do they know which kind of L2 they're at? Or they just know there's a certain wallet they're holding that. So I think going forward, these sort of a technology, L1, L2 side, will be mm. eventually not being known by, by the users. <laughs> No, I agree with you. And there's a company I'm actually watching out for, but I just realized there's another four or five companies. It's called Layer Zero. Oh yeah, where they're zero. trying to <laughs> where they're trying to be like the messaging layer to yeah. to basically allow the protocols to interact rather than trying to have these cross-chain bridges to yeah. hold the cash and then get hacked. Because they're both <laughs> unstable this like one whole rice unstable, yeah. right? So so yeah, the physics analogy just works nicely for Web3. Yeah, totally. But, yeah. I think given that where things are going, I think it's actually more interesting to see if we just have like one chain and it can automatically tell you which chain you're on instead mm. of you and I on MetaMask. I think, I don't know how many chains you have sold <laughs> <laughs> daily. Yeah, right. You had to go to different chains and then Binance has its own chain and then somebody wants to send me something on Binance. Oh, shucks. I need to change to the Binance chain. Oh yeah, yeah I can see it now. The user experience. We, we, well, I, I think most of us can agree that, that user experience is not ideal at all at this moment. Mm. I think that's going to be the Web3 user experience. Yeah. Totally. Not the Web2 user experience bring into yeah. Web3. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Totally. Okay. Last question for you. What does grid look like for you for AppWorks in the Web3 space? These days, going forward, I think because we, we all say, you know, Web3 is more like transparency and open world. I think that will, uh, you will see that more and more in, in AppWorks as well. 
as the topic we just discussed, like equity token, all this kind of stuff. So we we did have a lot of experience, you know, since 2016, 17, and now. How is this OK study being be evolved and how do we see in the long run, how does that affect to the founder, to the teams, and also the user or equity holders? I think I would say open knowledge will be something we're heading to from the VC side, because in the past, the VC side is sort of the secret to most of the players around the reach, around the industry. But I think from or 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 side, I think these can be opened up and be open to the industry players going forward. It's not only, so basically knowledge you are getting as an investor. That's something where you can see more and more from Apple's. Mm-hmm. And it, and according to the people who actually round up all the VCs in Web3 that raise funding, the total num- amount of dry powder left is 41 billion. So there's still yeah. a lot of money out there. Yeah. yeah let's, I think, yeah, start don't, don't actually need to worry about that. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. If, as long as the idea is good. Jessica, many thanks for coming on the show. In closing, two quick questions. First one, any recommendations that have inspired you recently? I just read a book. It's already I already published a couple of years ago, but it's called Finite the Infinite Game. I'm not sure other people read it or not, yes. but yeah, it's a very interesting concept. Like it's about like for for example, finite game. You can think about like a basketball game or even you know the company. Your your certain goal you are reach is sort of a finite game. And infinite game is like life is an infinite and relations you have with other people are very infinite. So I was inspired by some of the mistakes that people are having or even myself are, are making these days is that you are you usually putting an infinite game into a finite game. So you're self self-limit yourself and self-constrain yourself. So and I think it helps you to identify what's uh, the priority and objective you want to reach in every conversation or in every choices you are making. So I think that's quite inspirational. Mm. I'll just add a recommendation because I mentioned that book that I've read. It's called The Gun, The Ship, and The Pen by Linda mm. Colley. Mm. It's about history mm. of constitutions. And I really urge people who are thinking about DAOs, go read, read that it. Book. <laughs> yeah, because you have to understand that. Last question, how do my audience find you? Uh, from LinkedIn, I think it's probably the easiest way, no matter if uh, you're from Web 2 or Web 3, you can just search Jessica Liu AppWorks, you can pretty much get mm-hmm. Definitely can find this podcast in every platform out there, and you can definitely tweet to us at AnalyzeAsia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, Asia. And of course, uh, give us a five-star rating in iTunes so that we get a little bit easier to discover. Jessica, many thanks. Definitely get you back and have a longer chat next time around. Totally. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. 